We're fast-forwarding to Ecclesiastes from chapter 11, verse 7, through to the end of the chapter. God's word. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eye. To come is meaningless. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigour are meaningless. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors of the street are closed and the sound of grinding grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the street, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set order in many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goats, their collected savings like firm embedded nails, given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. In Matthew seven, twenty-four to 27 Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, The winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Amen. Heavenly Father, it is a great comfort to us to know that there is no work too hard for you. And therefore, in faith, we receive from you, we receive from you your word. Your word is truth. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our God and our Redeemer. Amen. So then, can you picture our learned professor, white-haired and bespectacled, stroking his long beard, gazing out at his class of keen students? For them, life has just begun. 
Before them lie adventure, success, discovery, but also disappointment, failure, boredom. He has been speaking to them about life under the sun and its meaninglessness, its futility. What will be his parting shot? How can he persuade his students to live in the light of the God who dwells above the sun? Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. That is how he grabs their attention. He paints a picture of what awaits them. Old age and all its attendant misery. Now maybe that is a picture that is overdrawn from your experience. Maybe you feel it's too pessimistic. And again, knowing our teacher, that might be deliberate. Maybe he is being negative deliberately for effect. But then again, maybe he is not too wide of the mark. So today, as we consider how our professor, our teacher, completes his series of lectures, we're going to look at the when and the why and the how of remembering our creator. When we remember him how we remember him, why we remember him. And as we do so, I hope that you will see that remembering our creator, our God, involves just more than calling him to mind. Remembering our creator is in fact a commitment to a way of life. A commitment to a way of life. So let's start with the when. When are we told to remember our creator? And the teacher says, in the days of your youth. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Now, we all complain about the youth of today, don't we? But, come on, it has ever been thus. The teddy boys of the 1950s are the grandpas of today. The punk rockers of the 1970s are now the parents who are getting worried about what their own children are getting up to. All through history, the younger generation has caused the older generation to throw up their hands in horror. It's often been said that youth is wasted on the young. If only we could have the knowledge and experience of age within the body of the youth. But hey, that is not the way it works, is it? Youth is a time for being carefree. And our teacher actually recognises that. Look at chapter 11, verse 9. Be happy, young man, while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Be happy, young man. The Apostle Paul says to us, everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and by prayer. Everything that God has given us is good. Tomorrow will bring its own troubles. Let tomorrow wait. Let's just go on with the party now. But it's not long before we realise that life is short and if we do not grab it with both hands and all the opportunities that life presents with us, we might never get another chance. Good habits are not to be uh, rejected in early life. If they're not developed when we're young, they may never be developed. So remember your creator in the days of your youth before it's too late. 
In chapter 12, verse 2, he talks about the dimming of the light of the sun and the moon and the return of the rain clouds. In other words, the joy of life is receding to the backstage and the storms and troubles of life are coming to the forefront. It seems that there is always some new cause to be anxious, to be upset. Every day brings with it some bad news. Verse 3, rather difficult to understand. Commentators are not entirely sure what the teacher is getting at. But here's what I'm persuaded by. That when he refers to the keepers of the house, he's talking about our limbs and our muscles. Our hands, our arms are becoming unsteady. The strong men who stoop are our legs. He's describing old age. And if that analogy is right, then perhaps the grinders which become few are our teeth. And looking at that, looking through the windows growing dim, our failing eyesight. Verse 4 talks about enforced lack of activity. Doors are closed to us. We talk about the housebound. Americans talk about shut-ins. And a consequence of this lack of activity is that we don't need as much sleep anymore. Rather than enjoying a long lie in the morning because you don't need to get up for work, how many retired people can't sleep and get up with the dawn chorus? They rise up with the sound of birds, which they can't really hear because they're going deaf, but all their songs grow faint. Four different characteristics of typical old age in verse 5. Fear. Fear of heights. Fear of journeys. Well, the car never goes any further than Tesco anymore. Silver hair. That comes from the description of the almond tree in blossom, which looks like a distinguished head of silver hair. Thirdly, the difficulty in walking. The grasshopper drags himself along. Get your zimmer ready. The last one is the decline in the sex drive when desire is no longer stirred. These are all signs that death is not too far away. Then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. So our teacher says in verse 6, Remember him before the silver cord is severed. Or the golden bowl is broken. Make your peace with God before it's too late. Death creeps up on us unannounced, unobserved. No matter what age you are, whether you're young, middle-aged or old, death can ambush you when you are least expecting it. All of us seem to imagine that we've got more time. But the truth is, we just don't know. We just don't know. In verse 7, the teacher points us back to Genesis chapter 2, to the story of God creating Adam from the dust of the ground. God gave humanity, life, personality, intellect, capabilities, responsibilities, creativity, but death reverses all that and turns us all back to dust, to dust. Old Testament scholar Ian Proven says that death is an evangelist. Death is an evangelist. In other words, the certainty of death should be an incentive to believe. An incentive to believe. Remember your creator. Remember him now. Now. Do you know, it's my experience as a pastor 
that some of the hardest people to talk to about the faith are actually those who are mature in years, who have gone through life without giving any thought to the Lord Jesus, any thought to the Bible or spiritual things. They get it into their heads that the very fact that they've lived a long life, God will accept them into heaven. You know, it's salvation by longevity. And they see themselves as aged and and venerable, and they think God will see them that way as well. And they've conveniently forgotten the sins of their youth. And God has forgotten as well. They're now too old to do anybody any harm. And they mistake their frailty for righteousness. Surely the message of the church to our day and generation should be. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. If you were in the boys brigade. You'll remember that that was the text on the back of your membership card. And it occurs to me. That those of us who are involved in ministry to children and to young people, we should take that text as our authority for what we do. Because if we are to remember our creator in the days of our youth, we must be told about our creator. We must be told about our Lord Jesus. We must be taught his ways. So as a church, we should be working hard at presenting the gospel and the gospel message in a way that is attractive and relevant to young people today so that they will want to know the Lord Jesus. They will be able to remember their creator in their youth. So that answers the question, when should we remember our creator? In our youth, as soon as possible, early on, now. How do we do that then? How do we put that into practice? If we are to make Almighty God the foundation of our lives, and if everything that we build is to be structured on him, how do we actually do that? Well, we get to the conclusion of the book, and I wonder if you noticed there was a a change in tone from the, the closing verses, because it seems to be a bit of a postscript. It seems to have been written by somebody other than the teacher, maybe one of his students. And these closing verses from verse 9 onward, they give us good advice. Good advice, not just how we relate to the book of Ecclesiastes, but actually good advice as to how we relate to all of Scripture. Not just that one book, that one small portion. Advice that will help us to remember our Creator, whatever age we are. First piece of advice, verses 9 and 10. Acknowledge the truth of what we're hearing. Not just in Ecclesiastes, but in all of Scripture. Acknowledge the truth of Scripture. There's a saying of Winston Churchill. Man will occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of the time he'll pick himself up and continue on. And ain't that the truth? If we want to find meaning in life, we dare not ignore the truth. If we want to refute the teacher's sceptical meaninglessness we need to listen to the whole of the word of God now whoever wrote this conclusion obviously had a high opinion of his teacher says in verse 9 not only was the teacher wise but he also imparted knowledge to the people and again he says in verse 10 what he wrote was upright and true so it's clear that our teacher had taken time to investigate matter before he announced, before he announced his conclusions And I think none of us have any doubt that certainly our teacher put a lot of thought into the way that he presented his material. 
Very thought-provoking. That's the feedback I've been receiving from those of you who have been doing the Bible studies. Very thought-provoking. But more important is, is what he says true? Is what he says true? You see, that is the question we should always be asking. Whatever we read, whatever we see, whatever we hear, whatever we've been told. I mean, we live in an era of fake news, don't we? Of AI-manipulated photographs. Of multimedia platforms with their own agenda. We just cannot take things at face value anymore. If we want to find the meaning of life, we must be concerned with the truth. The truth. And once we have found the truth, we must acknowledge its authority in our lives. The Lord Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, John 17, Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. So if God's word is truth, here's the second thing. We should accept the correction of Scripture. We should accept the correction of Scripture. Look at verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly bedded nails given by one shepherd. You see, in ancient times, a shepherd would use a goad, a, a large pointed stick, sometimes with a nail at the end of it, to keep the sheep going in the right direction. And it kept the sheep from wandering off on the wrong road. So our teacher has been like that, hasn't he? Sometimes his words have been razor sharp. It's been like having something prick you. And as we read and think about what he's saying, sometimes I have heard his voice saying to me, Watson, do you get the point? Now, it's the same with all of Scripture. There is no advantage in simply hearing Scripture. It must be put into practice. Doesn't the Apostle James say that? James chapter 1 verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Now earlier on we read from our Lord's famous parable of the wise and the foolish men. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon sand. We're all familiar with the story and we think we know what it means. But listen to what Jesus says it means. Jesus says about the parable. Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. It's about putting what we hear into practice. Living out scripture is a lifelong commitment. It's not just a one-off event. Nor is listening to scripture about just taking one of its commands and, and, and regarding it as like a red-faced sergeant major shouting at us, obey this command at the double. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path, says the psalmist. A lamp, a light. If you're walking along a dark road, you don't want a light that is intermittent. You want a light which is constant and reliable. Well, Scripture is such a light we need its light to shine upon every step we take. Not just once or twice, here and there. 
every step. Friends, the authority of the Bible does not come from it being ancient, although it is. The authority of the Bible does not come because it was written by some of the wisest people who ever lived, though it was. Scripture's ultimate authority comes from its ultimate source, from the living God, as verse 11 calls him, the one shepherd, the one shepherd. Remembering our creator involves permitting scripture to have a real effect on our lives because we know that these scriptures impart to us the mind of God, the very mind of God. Our attitudes, our ambitions, our relationships, our lifestyle, they all need to come under the authority of the Bible. And where we are out of kilter with the Bible, we're the ones who need to change. Not scripture. Not scripture. And if we refuse the correction of scripture, then we will, we'll, we'll just slip into that meaninglessness, that futility. That vapor. If we believe that the Bible is God's word and is truth, then we should accept its correction. And here's the third thing that we should admit its supremacy. Its supremacy. The supremacy of the word of God. Verse 12 Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now, that's not a license to students to abandon their studies. I think the serious point being made here is that we shouldn't get distracted. We shouldn't be going off on tangents, particularly when it comes to Scripture. You know, my friends, there is always somebody coming up with some new interpretation of the Bible. Some new slant that we're told gives us the real meaning of Scripture. I think we can appropriate that verse, the making of many books. Wearisome, wearisome. You know what you usually find? You usually find when somebody comes along and says, no, you've got it all wrong. This is what the Bible really means. The new discovery, surprise, surprise, fits in very nicely with our preacher or our teacher's own preferred way of life. Maybe in regard to money. God wants us all to be rich. Or with regard to leadership style, I am God's anointed, so do what I say. Or sexual ethics, yes, we've misread the Bible. Well, you know the saying, don't you? I've said it many times. If it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. Yeah? If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it won't be new. Do you know, my friends, that's one of the reasons why we should value the ancient creeds and confessions of the church. We have 2,000 years of prayerful thought and reflection to help us understand Scripture. How arrogant of us to imagine that we know better than godly men and women of the past. To remember our Creator is to take Him and His Word seriously. And that means acknowledging the supremacy of the word of God. Supremacy over and above our own desires, our own preferences, and yes, the preferences and desires of contemporary culture. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. You know, uh, some people think they can approach the Bible in the same way that some children, fussy children, approach their dinner. You know what I mean? You know, they pick out the bits they don't like and it goes on the table or to the dog. 
You cannot be picking out the bits of the Bible that you like and then discard the bits that are not to your taste. We remember our Creator by acknowledging His Word, obeying His Word, and granting His Word supremacy in our lives. The when, the how, finally. The why. Why should we remember our Creator in the days of our youth or any time in our lives? Why? Verse 13. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For this is the whole duty of man. In a nutshell, we should remember our creator because that's why we were created. So, so here is an example of wisdom from the past. From our Presbyterian ancestors. When they wrote the Shorter Catechism. They began by asking, what is the chief end of man? In other words... Why are we here? What is the main purpose of human life? And what do you think a typical 21st century Christian, how would a typical 21st century Christian answer that question? Why are we here? What is your purpose in life? My purpose in life is to be healthy and happy. My purpose in life is to provide for my family. My purpose in life is to leave the world a better place than when I was born. Would it ever occur to any of us to answer the question, my purpose in life, the reason I exist, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? But that's the biblical answer. That's the biblical answer. Why do we complain? Why do we complain to God, our maker, our creator, when things go wrong? If we're not living according to his instructions. We ignore the purpose for which we were made. And then we wonder why we don't get the results we want. Wouldn't life be a whole lot better if we admitted that our maker actually knows what he's talking about? And, and, and we went along with him. And there you have that command. Fear God and keep his commandments. Not reading it as a heavy duty statement that you have to believe or else. But when we read, for this is the whole duty of man. You think, is this something we're being strong armed into? Is this something we're being forced into? No, that's not the point. The whole point is that there is no greater way to find meaning. No greater way to find fulfillment and pleasure in life than a life of obedience to God. Is it too corny for me to quote the old hymn? Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Those who live in the light of that knowledge then have nothing to fear from being judged by God on the last day. Verse 14 for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or bad. Nothing hidden. All deeds, all motives exposed. There's another incentive to remember our Creator. We're drawing our studies in Ecclesiastes to an end. 
And I just want to flip things around for a wee moment. Salvation is an act of remembrance. The Lord Jesus Christ remembers us, recognizes us, welcomes us. The thief on the cross says to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Remember me. He remembers us. And not just occasionally. Not just when the angels prompt him. But always. We are always before him. To remember our creator does not mean occasionally bringing God to mind that, you know, that he exists. Not just occasionally remembering something we've heard in a sermon. It means nothing less than staking our whole lives on the one who remembers us. So the teacher says, life is just a breath, a puff of smoke, a chasing after the wind, but only when life is lived without reference to the one who is above the sun, indeed above everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that our Lord Jesus Christ does indeed remember us even when we are not remembering him. And what a terrible thing it would be even to think that for a moment we would be forgotten by you. So Heavenly Father, help us to remember. To remember you, our Creator, our Saviour, our Redeemer, our Friend. At all times, whatever age we are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.